De Bruyne has nicked it. And De Bruyne scores with the calmness of an assassin. Hello ladies and gents, welcome back to another episode of the 3 and In pod. After a hiatus last week, we are back on with discussion around the transfer window, as well as talking points of the weekend from the Premier League and beyond. I'm Chris, and with me as always, I have Sam. Hello. We'll kick things off with a bit of a question. Well, not a bit of a question, an actual question. Now that the transfer window is closed, and the new signings have had time to kind of train with their new teammates... Who do you think will be the most effective transfer of the window, like balancing value and performance? Value is a difficult thing to quantify now anyway. Do you know what I mean? You could, someone like Sissoko's 30 million makes, it makes Sadio Mane at 36 million look like an absolute steal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in terms of value, I, I would say that Sadio Mane is probably a really decent signing. Um in terms of effectiveness, uh, I would say with the way that Pep wants to play, John Stones could probably be the pick of the summer signings, in yeah. my opinion. It's a lot of money, but considering... It is, yeah, it is a lot of money. Yeah, um, considering how much they've struggled at centre-back, particularly you know, seeing as Vincent Companies, it doesn't look like he's ever going to be kind of consistently fit. I, I think more, more so to do with the style of play that... Uh, Pep Guardiola's chasing it seems like the ideal fit yeah for me a player that we've spoken about a fair amount is N'Golo Kante and I think at 36 million it's a massive bargain for Chelsea and I think it's two it's, players isn't it yeah <laughs> exactly it's already evident how much Leicester are missing him someone else is Idris Gay at Everton who have actually just scored against Sunderland in fact, he's literally just got an assist for Lukaku. Yeah, he, he's someone that didn't cost very much. Was it 7.5 mil? It was indeed. Yeah, and... From he, relegated Villa. Yeah, he's looked like he's really added to the Everton squad and, and probably someone that Steve Walsh had an influence in bringing in. So, we'll head to the Premier League, look at the games. Biggest the, game was of the, of the weekend was undoubtedly the Manchester derby. It didn't disappoint, did it? No, it was a really, really good weekend game. of football, yeah. Well, generally, the weekend of football is really good as well. This game in particular, you couldn't take your eyes off it. No. It's really fast pace, And Man United were just undone in the first half. Completely and utterly. Jose Mourinho got it wrong. And for for all the criticisms he, he levelled at those two players in particular, Mkhitaryan and Lingard, those were his mistakes. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's it was probably the most dominant derby since this six one, and it was a it was a dominant first half. I mean, Man United did get back into it in the second. The goal before half time did slightly take the stuffing out of Man City, but they didn't really look under too much threat afterwards. I know uh, Man United will claim that they should have had a couple of penalties, but I mean, all in, you'd say Man City deserved a win. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest problem for Man United was the fact was their midfield. They had Pogba and Fellaini as two in midfield, and it just it didn't work at all. Pogba was obviously more confident playing in the midfield three, like he did at Juventus, and City had Silva and De Bruyne in slightly deeper positions. And having those two creative players up against kind of Pogba and 
uh, Fellaini, who aren't defensively that great. For me, it was really negative for Man United. They played, they played their free in midfield, where Rooney was supposed to be the point of the midfield, but he was never there at all, with two at the base of it. So it was, it was a forward point. Whereas Man City, the away team, played with two attacking and one one holding, kind of the the the, the backwards point. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that it was two on two in the midfield in the in the attacking in Man City's attacking positions, David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne had way too much space, way too much time. Kevin De Bruyne seemed to always have like a, a five meter radius around yeah, you, him you where he pick was picking a- up the ball, be able to look up. Pick up, pick up a pass, and he he always chooses the right pass. Yeah, by having Pogba as part of the two of the deeper midfielders, it just it he wasn't able to impact the game. He didn't have any freedom, didn't have any license. It, it felt like it felt like Mourinho sapping the creativity out of a, a really exciting player, and then for him to to say after the game that. To, to hang his players out to dry like that when it was obviously his mistakes um, was it's, it's typical Mourinho but what's that going to do to those players' confidence? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said they did get back into it. They put Herrera on and they changed the midfielder up, uh, midfield yeah. up and allowed Pogba to have a little bit of freedom. They also brought Rashford on as well. Uh, and he looked like a real creative spark, like he has done this season, playing with a lot of confidence for about five or ten minutes. Yeah, but but he, but he was positive. He, but he was positive. He was running at defenders. He was caught. I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but he was causing problems for the City defense. I, I think Man United was scared of Man City after that, to be perfectly honest. And um, yeah, I mean the, the the complete kind of blitz in the in the first half. Really shook Man United up. They 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 probably went into the game thinking they were pretty even, evenly matched teams. They could compete, but it it they it didn't look that way at all. And they they got the kind of lucky goal at the end of the first half. And what whilst United did try to change things and brought Herrera on, Guardiola was able to react and kind of showed his in-game awareness and brought. Fernando on taking, uh, I think it was Iheanacho, came off. Just added that extra player in midfield. It just kept dominating the midfield. He'd, he'd got his lead and he inversed his triangle. He, he put the two, the two Fernandinho and Fernando at the base and managed to just play on the break because they'd is, already got the lead. They're well, this is the problem. Home. with like uh, Obviously, Mourinho's system can be really effective, but when he's got players that have the potential to be really creative and can have a lot of attacking strengths, if he sets out in a in a really negative mode and then they concede, they're going to struggle to get back into the game in that for, in the formation that he's played. They're going to constantly you can't you can't lose a midfield battle against a team like City. They'll they'll rip you apart against those players. Yeah. Whilst on the face of it, Rooney had a decent game. He 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 played some key passes and he generally looked lively. I felt that by him abandoning. His central role and roaming around all over the place, it just left Ibrahimovic way too isolated. Ibrahimovic was—he scored a great goal, great finish, but it was—it felt like that he wasn't able to impact the game because there was no one around him, there was no one near him. It took too long to get the ball to him, and um, I feel that that's 
that's Rooney's slightly Rooney's problem because he's chasing around the ball all over the pitch and he's making other people vacate their their positions and um whilst he may have had a decent decent game on the ball off the ball it was awful and they got back into it with a mistake from Claudio Bravo which he had a debut to forget didn't he? <laughs> yeah he, he won't want an encore of that at all no um, but I mean at the same time regardless of the result they're both teams that are likely to be battling out for the title I don't think that will change I don't think this one result changes that no one's won the league at this point after five games but to win away for uh, away to win at Old Trafford for Man City is, it's going to be a huge like confidence boost and it's it's going to be really demoralising for Mourinho because he, he hardly ever loses games at home and to to lose in his second or third home game, it's going to be quite devastating to him as well. And and for him to to come out and hang his players out out, out to dry like that, I think that's such an early stage. We're used to him yeah, doing it, but exactly. usually after On a season, third, yeah, <laughs> third, exactly. Um, going back to Claudio Bravo, he he made the mistake for the goal. I I still think he, you could see that he called for it. John Stones didn't move out of the way. Yeah. And when that happened, he should have punched it. So it is a goalkeeping error at the end of the day. But And it's easy for pundits, especially pundits in this country, to say, oh, look, he's made a mistake, should have kept Joe Hart. But fundamentally, this one mistake doesn't necessarily reflect him as a goalkeeper. He's still a better passer of the ball than Joe Hart. And if he, that's the he, objective, then... He, he completed more passes than nine Man United outfield players. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, exactly. And he's the kind of goalkeeper that reflects Guardiola's system and... That will pay off in the long term. We're early days in that system as well, like, and it's ominous how how well they're already approaching it, adapting to it. Everton have just scored in the David Moyes derby. Lukaku with a second hat trick. Lukaku. Oh, it's hat trick. Yeah, seems like I've missed a goal. <laughs> in addition, as uh, as well, that for Mourinho, the the head to head between the two is. Heavily stacked in Pep Guardiola's favour. They, they played 20, 20 games against one another, and Pep's won eight of them. Moves only won three with nine draws. Um, so that that's going to start weighing heavy on his mind as well, I think. Anyway, shall we move on? Yeah, so we'll go from what two teams battling out for this year's title to last season's champions Liverpool, Leicester. The opening of the new main stand at Anfield. I was there. How was it? Really good atmosphere. A uh, lot of energy around the ground. Biggest capacity in 40 years or something like this that. This is 50-something thousand. 54,000 it? now, yeah. It's, it's much needed additional revenue for Liverpool, isn't it, really? And it's really impressive as well. Yeah. And it's it's good to kind of merge the, the old tradition with some of the the, the, the new... The, like the newer stadiums you see, yeah. um, the kind of lack a bit of soul. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that we were able to stay at Anfield and yet expand the number of people that can go to the games. You'll fill it out week in, week out as well. Yeah, for sure. The game was thoroughly one-sided, wasn't it? Definitely. Um, there was no Philip Coutinho who was rested after his long trip from South America. Daniel Sturridge came in for him. Um, Dejan Lovren suffered a horrible eye injury in training. I think he clashed with Kevin Stewart and he had a really massive black eye. 
So Lucas came in at centre back, which I think would have filled quite a few people with some nerves before the game. I thought he did quite well though. Yeah, I mean, despite the mistake, which <laughs> which was comical, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was like you said, really one sided. Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino were standout performers in that game. They were constantly chasing. They they looked like a threat every time they got the ball. Um, and they were massively helped by the runs of Daniel Sturridge. Yeah. One criticism that's kind of leveled at him sometimes is that you know is is this what well, it's a it's a lazy stereotype that he's lazy. Um, but if, I, I, I I don't think that necessarily. I think that he's just a very very selfish player. Like he holds on to the ball far too long, and he lost the ball how many times? But I think on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if it's necessarily that though, because I think he has a tendency of doing that, particularly when he's been out for a long time, because he feels like he needs to kind of get back into the swing of things. But if but you look at if, if you look at how he performed yesterday, the first goal was scored. Like he had a huge part to play in that. He ran past the halfway line to win the ball back, and then drew Wes Morgan out, uh, and, and Roberto Firmino was able to run into that space, and it was a quality finish. But that's the kind of intelligent runs that, and it wasn't mentioned by any of the commentators as well, which seems surprising. You, well, it's you, not you've surprising. Seen it from, you've seen it, you're seeing it from different eyes to to why. So, about my opinion was that he. He just he, whilst he did have a part to play in two of the goals, um, I, f- I felt he just lost the ball too much to be honest. Um, and he was he was assisted heavily by a suicidally high line by Leicester, which you guys exposed. Like Liverpool played their best football against teams that come out to play against them to to that that sort of press onto them and play higher lines. You you seem to demolish those teams. Um, like you showed against us, but that's not that's not to say that like I, I thought um, Firmino and um, Firmino and Sadio Mane were hugely impressive. I thought Henderson actually had a really dominant performance in the middle of the park as well. Yeah, he won the ball back quite a few times yeah. and sprayed a lot of inter- interceptions, and he. He he liked to he he liked to get the ball to the front man, whoever the furthest forward was, as often as as he possibly could, as quickly as he possibly could, which paid dividends, especially against the high line. Um, and I thought I thought it was a really accomplished performance, but the goal that was conceded was extremely comical. It was ridiculous. It was it was a, it was an amazing assist, to be honest. <laughs> I think he's actually joked about it as well at a meal after the game that it's the first assist he's got in years. So. <laughs> but no, like I think people naturally criticise Lucas because he's not he's not seen as the best on the ball and he's not a natural centre back. But at the same time, if you look at the first and second goal, he's oh, was it the first and second? Perhaps maybe it was the second and third goal. Anyway, he was involved in two of the goals where we've he's played it out. He's pinged the ball either through the middle and drilled it into midfield. And he's taken the time to assess those passes. And He's, he's got experience. He's, he, he's, he's an intelligent footballer as well. Yeah. He might not have the the physicality to back up. His, he might, his mind might write checks that his body can't cash effectively. But Well, he's got several options in that position. Yeah. He's, he's got the ball and he's either got, A, he's going to take the time to decide which pass to pick. 
to be he passes it to Mignolet, who's kicking his shoddy at the best of times. C, he plays it to Nathaniel Klein, who's in a corner and will just get pressed. And Roman numeral four. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just plays it long and we lose the ball and get exposed to Jamie Vardy's pace. So, yeah, it was a bad touch and it is, it's a He's funny angle. Yeah, shit happens, in it? It was, good, it, was, it was a good performance. It feels like the attacking verb that Klopp is trying to implement is is really coming to fruition. It's it's just defensively, really, that they the concerns are for Liverpool. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was struggling to keep up with where any of the players were, any of the attacking players were at any one time, let alone the Leicester defenders. You had Mane, Firmino, Coutinho when he came on, Sturridge, Lallana, even Wijnaldo making runs from deep. It was really difficult to track where any of them would be in any at any given one at any given time. Someone else who had a really good game it was Adam Lallana. He obviously scored for England during the international break and scored an absolute screamer. Fucking put, worldly, yeah. Yeah. He covered 13.1 kilometres on Saturday, which is the most of any player this season. So it, it's not surprising. He's one of those players that does regularly cover a lot of ground and his pressing's always really strong. But now he's seeding, seeming to add goals to his game, which is massive. The thing, one thing about Lallana, I I never really knew what what exactly he was. I I didn't know what function he served. I I I thought he was a good technical footballer, and I appreciated that he had some talent. Just didn't know where I'd fit him in. It seems that he's got direction now on the club, which is it's, it's good for him. It's good for England. Um, I do I I do think Lallana now has. With the direction he's being given, he's got the potential to actually like realise the the sum of his talent. Absolutely. Well, our, our, our non-existent producer is pointing at his watch and telling us to move on. <laughs> the five goals in that game were only outdone by the six in the West Ham-Watford game at the Olympic Stadium, or London Stadium, whatever it's called. Stadium. <laughs> West Ham fell apart. They were they were two 0 up. Uh, Miguel Antonio with two headers, two headers as two usual. More headers, yeah. yeah. What happened? Well, the fans got bored. They started fighting each other. That happened. Ridiculous. But um, it seemed like with some of the showboating they were doing after going two 0 up. Lanzini pissing about with the ball on the halfway line, juggling with it, and just some of the things. It, it seemed like it just pissed Watford off. Like, Tortadini said it after the game. It they they felt like they were being mugged off, and they just pulled up their socks and thought, "Fuck this!" <laughs> and then they just took the game to West Ham. Just absolutely like physically dominated them, and just they stepped it up big time. They turned up the tempo. It was wave after wave of attack from Watford. In the end, it was kind of West Ham mugging themselves off with yeah. the defensive mistakes. Troy Deeney's goal was phenomenal. Yeah, it was. Well, it was, it was... as a result of a mistake. I yeah. yeah, Well, you you might call it defensive or goalkeeping error or whatever, but for him to think that quickly and to to execute the chip as 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 well as he did was it was quite good. Kapu with his third. Thunder cunt into the back of the net of the season, having not scored for Watford all of last season. 
that, and all three goals that he scored as well, they're all identical. Yeah, left footed, just, half just volleys. Set himself in the box and just smashed the shit out of it. Another bit of showboating that kind of didn't really count for much in the end was Dimitri Payet's Rabona cross for the second West Ham goal. That that's just that's just class, to be honest. Like it's not that's not showboating because he was trying to get an end. Yeah. it's not like he was doing kick ups on the halfway line or just just pissing about. He was actually trying to add value with what he was doing there, and it was it made it made his cross an in swinger. It might have been a shot, don't know, but. It was. It was definitely. A cro- a I think cross, it was definitely actually. a cross. Yeah. It made his cross an in swinger to the back post, which Antonio has been gobbling up all season. So that that's just fair play. And I think actually Dini did say that. Yeah, that's just quality piece of skill. But it's the rest of the stuff that they were doing that was uh, pissing off the Watford boys. You don't want to do that. So you, you don't think... want to piss off Troy Dini. <laughs> <laughs> they are bullies, aren't they? They're they're big sided. I I wouldn't want to visit them. Do you reckon this was a one-off for West Ham, or do you think this is kind of part of a wider problem? It's becoming a trend, really. Throwing away leads, throwing away positions that they've got themselves into. It was supposed to be a season of real progression and promise for West Ham, but it seems to have disintegrated in the first month or two. Um, They're out of Europe. And they're struggling for real fluency in the way they play. I I, I don't think it's going to be a, a long lasting thing. I think Slavon Bilic has got the the character and the the uh, tenacity to just pull it back. But it's it's not the fairy tale we thought it was going to be. West Ham's weren't the only ones to suffer a meltdown. As Mark Hughes was sent to the stands in Stokes 4-0 defeat to Spurs. He even told the Spurs fans to shut up as he was getting sent to stand, despite not actually knowing how to get to his seat, which I thought was quite funny. Spurs were dominant. Stoke offered nothing. It was it was so easy for Tottenham. And I thought Christian Eriksen really sort of came to the party today. He's He's been a bit anonymous all season. But he dominated things in the midfield. Like he was all over the place. His, his heat map was literally red all over the final third. Son scored a couple of screamers as well. Quality goals. And Harry Kane's off the mark. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, August has come and gone, which means Harry Kane's allowed to score again. Deli Ali also scored, which, you know, going into the Champ- uh, Champions League game with Monaco, I think will inspire them with confidence. Yeah. Stoke, it's slightly concerning. They've got a, they've got too much about them to go down, but it's, it feels like they're regressing slightly. Yeah, so more, I mean, Mark Hughes will have to kind of turn them around before he ends up with another QPR situation on his hands. They're rock bottom of the table at the moment, and like you said, I mean, I I, I agree with you. I think they've got too much to go down, but it's difficult sometimes when you're in that slump to really get out of it. They do have fighters in there, though, so that they will draw a lot of hope from that. And they have signed Bonnie as well, which will give them a lot more going forward. So, Mark Hughes does need to turn it around pretty quickly, though. Otherwise, it might he might just find it getting away from him slightly. Seems like a good place to take a break. So, we'll see you shortly.
you think you picked the wrong team? Look, uh, honestly, I had uh, two or three players in the first half that um, <laughs> if the game is now and I know what is going to happen, I don't, obviously, I don't, um, I don't play them. But this is, this is football and sometimes players, they disappoint managers and sometimes players, they, they give us uh, great surprises. Um. Oh, boo-hoo! Let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. Welcome back. Only two teams remain unbeaten in the league. One's uh, City and the other is Antonio Conte's Chelsea. They managed to get a late, late equaliser, can't even speak now, thanks to Diego Costa. Becoming a bit of a habit, that, isn't it? Late equalisers from Diego Costa. Yeah, it's quite an annoying habit. <laughs> yeah, he he looked really pumped up for it without actually being fully Diego Costa arsehole. Like, I, don't, I don't think he did too much cheating or fighting, but he was... He was Really like aggressive. He was a threat all game, and he looked really fired up. I think his Antonio Conte is really getting a tune out of him. Chelsea didn't have that fight last season, and um, least of all from Diego Costa. They just didn't want to play for Mourinho, but he he seems to have really got that that fire back in him. How they were only one 0 up at half time, I'll I'll never know. They they probably had about fifteen shots in the first half. And it came back to haunt them, like their inability to put the game to bed. Literally five minutes of madness on Chelsea's part. The game went from 1-0 up to 2-1 down. And yeah, I mean, Chelsea had to grind it out in the end. Courtois gave away the penalty for the first, for the Swansea equaliser. And with the new double jeopardy kind of law, meant that he wasn't sent off. And the second goal... I mean, Cahill definitely was fouled by Leroy Fair, but he he dawdled on the ball. He took, he took, I think, two or three touches and it kind of gave gave the opportunity for Leroy Fair to, 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 to muscle in and take the ball off him. But it probably was a foul, sort of all things considered, but he, he should have dealt with it straight away. And Gary Cahill is kind of endemic of Chelsea's defensive frailties, I think. They are, like, really short there. And then I know they've added um, David Luiz, but it still feels to me that they're going to be fragile at the back. Well, they'll definitely be more fragile, seeing as John Terry left the ground in crutches. So he'll, it looks like he'll miss the game against Liverpool on Friday, which probably means that David Luiz will come in. Yeah, <laughs> it could mean the Liverpool exploit another high line. Can't see David Luiz playing too deep. So, what other games have we yet to cover? Oh, we've forgotten about Arsenal. It was a forgettable game, to be honest. We, we, it seemed like we had one eye on the Champions League midweek. We rested a lot of players. Um, no starts for Sanchez, Giroud, um, Xhaka. But starts for the two new players, Mustafi and um, Perez, who both had not magical debuts, to be honest. They're both slightly under the radar. Mustafi showed that he wants to play with the ball on the ground. He doesn't want to hoof it. He's 
it did show his technical quality. Lucas Perez found it difficult to really get into the game, I thought. We were pretty lucky to, to get the three points. We seem to only really come alive having gone a goal down. And uh, I, I, I suppose I should be happy that we, we just played our squad and we got the three points and we're on to the next one. Uh, it's, it's just, it was an instantly forgettable game. <laughs> there, was, there was the penalty incident, I guess, which was slightly contentious. But in my opinion, if, if Jose Font doesn't pull the shirt, he's not going to give away a penalty. He's he's given the referee a decision to make and and he knows that there's, that there's a directive to, to clamp down on shirt pulling and unfair kind of advantages like that. He's kind of brought it on himself. All we want is consistency. Mm, that, <laughs> that old Chessy. Um Well, you sound thoroughly unenthusiastic about this game. So. Santi Cazorla was 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 the bright spark in the game. Actually, he he's a very enjoyable player to watch. He's he's got it all basically. I reckon he he's. It's, I think his passing accuracy was like ninety seven percent. He he had the most touches of any player on the pitch that day uh, or that game. Um, and he he scored a high pressure goal, high pressure penalty in ninety four minutes. Well, that's. Move on to the promoted teams. We had two promoted teams that played each other, Burnley and Hull. It's quite a good game, actually. Yeah, it was a good game. Two really quality goals as well. Um, Stephen DeFore getting his first goal for Burnley and Robert Snodgrass completing an excellent week. Got a hat-trick, didn't he, for Scotland in the international break. He's really sort of taken the ball by the horns this season, hasn't he? He's like making up for lost time after his massive injury. And... um He's he's looked quality in the first his first four games of the season. He's 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 been the standout player for Hull. Yeah, long may it continue. Mike Phelan had the was on the losing end of kind of Fergie time against Man United last well in the last game, and he had his own slice of luck this time getting uh, was it ninety fourth minute equaliser from Robert Snodgrass. I think so. So yeah, I think they've had a really positive start to the season, and he'll be hoping that the club give him the permanent role. I'm sure a lot of Hull fans I, I, will feel I, the same. I can't believe that he hasn't already. I mean, the takeover seems to be an extremely protracted event. That level of stability needs to be implemented into the club and by appointing him as full-time manager, it seems, it seems, it's like, it seems like a no-brainer, especially at this point. Having He's on seven points, he's level with Arsenal. The opposition manager, Sean Dyche, has a habit of complaining about the resources other teams have. And he did the same after the game on the weekend. He said that some of Hull's, like, don't be fooled, and a lot, some of Hull's players cost a lot of money. With the new, with the new TV deals, I think all clubs have a fair amount of money there. I mean, they fin- Burnley finished top of the championship last year. I'm sure they got a large sum for that. I, I don't think that can really work as an excuse. You can't keep banging on the same drum. It gets old, it gets boring, and then you get people like me and you taking the piss out of him. <laughs> exactly. Just change the fucking record, get on with the work, get on with the job, make sure you play the right football. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he, that, I mean, it's not like Burnley are bad either, like, but you can't keep on banging on the st- that's going on with the same rhetoric. It, it 
permeates through to your players. It just makes them think, what's the point? There are other managers, there are other teams who have come into the league with less resources and done particularly well. You look at someone like Swansea, they, they went... Leicester. Exactly. So, yeah, I think time to lose the excuses, really. The other promoted team, Borough, who've had a excellent start, an excellent start to the season, actually lost their first game uh, against Crystal Palace. Christian Benteke getting his first goal for the club. I think it's only three wins in 2016, to be honest. And the relief on Pardiola's face was, was visible. I'm surprised he wasn't dancing, to be honest. <laughs> I think he's learned his lesson there. He definitely ain't been on fucking dancing lessons. <laughs> <laughs> Wilfred Zaha had a really good game. Got a goal and an assist. I think it's good that Palace managed to keep hold of him. There was a lot of interest from Spurs. But the interest from Spurs was, it was almost like they were they they made the offer on Zaha just because they needed to bring people in. Otherwise, it would have. I mean, the fact that they had to shell out as much as they did for for um, Suzuka on on deadline day just shows you how bad the window went for Tottenham. So I don't think keeping Zaha from Tottenham was the biggest of coups, but. I suppose if they would have lost him and Balassi, then it would have been a huge issue. The last game was West Brom Bournemouth. Jack Wilshere's debut. Jack Wilshere's debut, yeah. Kind of went under the radar a little bit. It didn't do too much, to be honest. He's probably not completely match fit at the moment. When is he ever? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Callum Wilson got the only goal of the game. It was a clever clever flick. It was, and he'll he'll be... Really happy to get that goal. It's his first goal since the the injury last season. And um, I mean, going back to Jack Wilshere, actually, sort of, I feel it seems like a lot of Arsenal fans are kind of perplexed by the move. I I, I think it's a no brainer for both parties, for Arsenal and and Wilshere. We've got a massive dearth of options in midfield. I think he's way down the pecking order, and. It's an opportunity for him to get a lot of first-team football. And and for Arsenal, I don't think we can afford the, the time to allow him to rehabilitate in, in or, or to assimilate into the first-team. Coupled with the fact that Aaron Ramsey's not had the best record of injuries, it's, it's difficult for us to allow two players to have, with that kind of injury record in, in the squad, to, for them to take up those two places in midfield. I don't think by any stretch that Arsenal feel that it's the end of the it's, it's the end of the road for Wilshere. I think I, I think it's actually a really decent move. It might have been better for him to go and experience Italy with Roma or Juve, who who is seen or AC Milan in, in, indeed, who it seems all three were interested. Yeah, I think the difficulty with those teams though are there's no guarantee that he'll start. Someone like. Yeah, with Roma, it would have been difficult. With Juve, have, definitely yeah. would have been difficult. Yeah, I mean, Roma have Nangalan and Strutman. Juve have wealth of options in central midfield. And it's not like he's going to walk into the Serie A champions <laughs> central midfield. Like, so. it, It's an exercise in proving his fitness. And if he can play 30 games for Bournemouth, in the Premier League. Arsenal will be happy to have him back. He's a quality player. He's got amazing talent. So... It's it's just that Arsenal can't afford to allow him to to rehabilitate at, at, in the first team squad anymore. 
that we did it for for ages with players like Diaby, um, where we we gave him the squad position in the hope that he's going to be available for x amount of games a season, and it just never came never came to pass. So it's 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 a good move for him, and he gets to be around his his best mate in Benicophobia as well. So good on him. Let's take a quick look around Europe. We'll start off in Holland with the heartwarming story of Den Haag fans who showered Feyenoord fans with cuddly toys, which seems like a strange, strange headline to a story. But the context behind it was that there was children from a hospital in Rotterdam that had come to watch the game and Den Haag fans yeah, just gave them free toys, which was quite a, quite a nice gesture. In that same game, Dirk Hout scored twice to maintain Feyenoord's 100% record. He's still banging them in. And they'll face Man United as well, won't they, in the Europa League on Thursday. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, that'll be... Rashford might actually get a start in that game. Yeah, probably. Another another kind of favourite of mine, Francesco Totti, scored a 93rd minute penalty. He got the assist as well for the... Uh... For the equaliser in a yeah. 3-2 win, didn't he? Yeah, he got a 3-2 win against Sampdoria. He's now scored in 23 consecutive seasons. The, the scenes in the crowd, it was it was actually quite touching, to be honest. The children crying and even the adults crying. It was, uh, there's never, I, I don't think there's too many other players in history that have been so entrenched in a football club. I mean, Arsenal have got Mr. Arsenal, Tony Adams, and you've got Steven Gerrard, of course. But, Francesco Totti is is on. It seems like he's on another level, really, isn't he? At Roma, still scoring goals as well, still being really productive member of the squad. He got off the bench, but I think he's the only player that was on the original Pro Evo that's still yeah kicking the ball probably. professionally today. I think I saw a stat today that he's scored. Like I say, he scored in twenty three consecutive seasons, which is before Buffon made his debut for Juventus. That's incredible. Speaking of goalkeepers in Italy... There's going to be some tears here, mate, to be honest, <laughs> let alone in Roma. Speaking of um, goalkeepers in Italy, City fans must have been longing for Joe Hart after Claudio Bravo's performance, but that was uh, until the Torino versus uh, Atalanta match. Joe Hart's debut where he also made a blunder. Who, John Hart? Joe, oh, Charles Hart, as his actual name is, we found out. If they called him John Hart on the team sheet, didn't they? <laughs> I didn't see that. That's that. Yeah, <laughs> bit of a blunder. It seems like he's uh really trying to uh, get back into the Man City team because he completed more passes in that one game than he did all season last year. Another story from Italy was Mario Cardi scoring a stoppage time winner. To effectively save Frank de Boer's job, Inter have been piss poor this season. One of the biggest shocks over the weekend, arguably the biggest shock, was in La Liga. Alaves beat, who have already, well, I mean, they've already drawn against Atletico Madrid. They went and beat Barcelona 2 1. Huge result. At the new camp. That's... Phenomenal. I mean, not really much else you could say about that. I was it, speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's historically the kind of game that Barcelona just run away with. 4-0, 3-0, out to canter. So, I, I had it on in the background. And 
One minute it was 1-0 Barca. Next thing you know, they've lost. Yeah. Argu- Doesn't often happen. Arguably the only bigger shock over the last week or so was uh, Nottingham Forest signing Lord Bentner. <laughs> the greatest striker that ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> in his eyes anyway. But he was kind of brought in with We've the... We've got them in the... What's it called? Some cup. <laughs> the, the EFL Cup? EFL Cup. That would be a nice return for him. Was it you playing him? The They brought him in with the money they got for Oliver Burke, who's obviously now the most expensive Scottish player. And he got an assist on his debut for Leipzig. Came on off the bench as they beat Dortmund. Another shock result. 1-0. And it was interesting. I don't know if you saw uh, John Hartson's quote about... Uh, he was really surprised that but uh, Oliver Burke went to Germany and he was questioning why he didn't go to a Premier League team like West Brom or Burnley. <laughs> I think the state of British pundits. Like Leipzig is a bit, of a bit of an odd one as well. I mean, they, they, they're they backed by Red Bull and it's, it's almost... And they, they've been able to cherry-pick the best of the young talent. Yeah. Um, they've paid a lot of money for a lot of players and they've they've worked their way up from the bottom rung of German football to... To beating Dortmund today in the in the Bundesliga over the course of five or six years, so it's a kind of a slightly worrying thing where you're going to get like McDonald's, Macclesfield, or something. Do you know what I mean? Where they're they're just they're just backed by a corporate owner. They spunk loads of money on them, and they inorganically build a club. We had a we had Chelsea, didn't we? I well, <laughs> we had a Burger King approach Zenit Saint Petersburg. Yeah. As well, um, for, I think it was for the naming rights of the club, the yeah. name of the stadium. So yeah, it, it's not something I particularly want to see, and I think a lot of Dortmund fans actually boycotted the game as well. I mean, the game sold out anyway, but still, I think it's it's a signal of intent if yeah, fans I, I, around. I mean, in Germany, I I, I believe that there's it's it, that no one no one seems to appreciate what's happening at Leipzig. It's universally disliked, and I can see why. But all the best to Oliver Berg anyway. I'm sure he'll get a better coaching quality than he would at somewhere at one yeah. of the smaller Premier League teams. So, and, and I think it's brave of him to take that experience on, even if he is getting paid well. More, more British English players should do it. There's just not enough of it happening. That's 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 why it seems like England are always playing catch up. The, Absolutely. They they look at systems other other countries other teams are playing and there's no innovation there because there's not the breadth of football knowledge from the players so, so yeah it's good it's a good trend I hope it continues I think that about covers it we've got some interesting games throughout the week and next weekend will also be quite compelling with the Liverpool Chelsea on the Friday. And we will catch you next week with our reactions and predictions for the following week. Take care. See you later, fuckers.